this is it. Um, welcome to episode 84 of series one of the Mad Axman podcast. I think next time we will start calling things series two when we return after the summer. So this is your last episode for a, for a while, um, unless we fit in a few more silly specials and things like that over the, over the warmer months. There's all sorts here. We've got the quiz, we've got a rant, we've got painting, we've got gaming, we've got discussions about um, adult venues on, on main motorways in the UK all the usual rubbish there's even um a bit of bird song so listen out for that as well so a textbook classic episode with all the usual ingredients so sit back pin back your ears and enjoy the mad axman podcast this means war this means war well look we are here there's currently a team of six and then we've got a, a seventh dial-in specialist who'll be joining us in about 10-15 minutes as well uh, which will give us the full set of seven for the i think we decided this is probably the last proper um if if the word proper can really be applied to anything that we do here on the mad axman podcast the last proper podcast before a summer hiatus as finally at the torrential rain in the uk appears to be abating and there will be some warmth and sunshine and the rest of it and in theory at least for a couple of weeks we're all going to be able to run around and um you know hug trees and and hug each other and and, and try and do some face-to-face social interaction before covid cases reach another like million a day or whatever it is and we're all pinged by an nhs app and we can never we're not even allowed to meet each other on zoom quite soon i suspect but so yes last one before the summer but even that, at the end of this epic 80-plus episodes, um, before we take the hiatus, we are still in the same usual set of things. And as there's been, a, I think, a three-week break since the last one, that means there's probably an awful lot of painting to have discussed. And the place to start when we're using the phrase an awful lot of painting is is the painting demon the um the terrain um the terrain queen the forest meister my stress whatever here we go tamsin tell us just just astonishes with what you know how much of the island of um was it borneo have you actually covered with real terrain um in a one-to-one scale in the last three weeks oh uh New Guinea, although the Australians did also fight on a couple of other islands, i.e. Big Ainville, New Britain and indeed Borneo, they did, right at the end. Uh, I've been, I've produced quite a bit over the last three weeks, as you can imagine. I've, I've actually had like random people contacting me on Twitter going, have you seen how much Tamsin's done? Oh my God. It's like, you know, it's out there in the wargaming ether. Um, so it's, it's something oh certainly happening out there. Oh dear. I, one of the bit, I, so when I left, left you, I think I, I was about to start work on the plantations. And yeah, doing, I think you'd only done like a thousand trees or something, and but you were yeah, moving into the yeah. next couple of, you know, something, couple of like, thousand. something like that. Yeah. And but sort of doing the terrain tiles for them, for them there was a lot of downtime while things various stages were drying so I decided oh sod it I start start priming I the MDF buildings and assembling them and over a couple of days I okay. you can see the picture they can't yep. but one so two, is there is there one 
particular company that you get these MDF buildings from? You know, because there's right. all sorts of different um, ranges and qualities of MDF buildings, isn't there? I've Far East ones. I War bases do a couple. Drissa <laughs> do a good range, and if you can get them, it's an Australian company. an Australian company, Knights of Dice, who also do some very nice MDF ones, but shipping times and costs. Uh, so you, you, but, but you have got them. So they, there's some so knights all, of dice terrain here then as well. We're looking at. There's no knights of dice terrain here. This is all Sarissa and war bases. Okay. There's various various huts, various and uh, such like. Lots of stuff uh, there's on a couple stilts, of buildings yeah. which I actually ran out of the, the brown the brown spray paint. So <laughs> wow, <laughs> that's that's impressive. Excellent. Uh, so, the, so I was working on this rain tiles and just a final picture is just showing. So these are tiles. Are those, are those terrain tiles with wobbly edges that are kind of base? Yeah, they're from Swiss Precision. Okay. Like, so for the like for the plantations, they're going to be like the trees are going to be the plants are going to be regularly spaced. So I'd say yeah, go with hmm. squares. So you can see okay. just a couple of progress shots there showing I like, with static grass without static grass. Yeah, and then there's a bit of pizza topping on there yeah, as well. Yeah, and, and then, then so that's the banana plantation. That is a banana plants. plantation, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Um, covering two, two, well, two foot by two foot square. <laughs> Four square feet of banana trees. Wow. Yep. I've uh, some skirmish there's games play on I, four by four. If you look where, where the cursor's pointing, that's a twenty-eight millimeter figure. There's a little geezer in there. Yes. No, I can see it. Yeah, I can. I can see his hands. Wow. Yeah. Yep. No, he's um he's he's not going to be short of potassium, is he? At any no, point in his in his um daily diet. Yeah, and so with the potassium, and I think there's iodine. I he'll also mm. be slightly radioactive. Yes, <laughs> he will. Yeah. But no chance of scurvy at all. <clears throat> he'll be scurvy yeah. free. Well, that's sort of everything. Sort of all the tiles there. I stand. And there's a that looks like you've got two really useful box inserts. Yeah. that have got special slots in to hold your banana trees. Yes. So they can be densely packed and then they come out onto the bases and they're slightly less densely packed. Yes. Is there, is there actually a game involved in where you you take the bananas and put them in the, the holes on the, the board? It's like some sort of it's, it's banana based version of Banana Go, is it? Or something yeah, like that? I, banana Sudoku, I think. Sure, it's like, sure you know, somebody could get extra points if you get them all in a row. Yeah. yeah Plantationville. Banana Connect oh. Four, Connect yeah, Four, because it, it parts yeah. the pregame. You know, some people do yeah. like deployment and everything else. You you get some, like banana deployment. Yeah, this is going to be it. it's going to be the new two fat lardies set, isn't it? There's going to be a pregame banana phase or something. Yeah, Tamsin, I've got to say, like when I look at your painting output, I started off by being impressed, then I started getting worried, and now I'm looking at you having four square foot of banana plantation. I've got to say, have you ever considered getting help? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just gone a bit bananas. Yeah, indeed. Oh, and with that, and Andy's arrived. Peter, my you jumped in and did Andy's joke just as he arrived. Hello, Andy. <laughs> yeah. Hello. We, Hello, we Andy. Your jokes for you now. Look at that. Yeah. Right. And sort of proving that I've gone totally off my coconut. Two foot by four foot coconut plantation. <laughs> Two foot by four. So two foot by two and two foot by four. But, so that's but do you have special fra feet. fragmentation rules for the coconuts landing on people? No, I don't, but could you I I possibly should. 
It's co- should. coconut More penetration. More people get killed by on... coconuts than sharks. Well, those Japanese tanks are probably vulnerable enough that if a coconut fell on them that from the upper armor. Yeah. Oh. oh no, those are Matildas, aren't they? I think. Those Matildas. Yeah. Yeah. I say a berry's not going to stop a coconut. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're getting into a tree-based fruit discussion, which is going slightly off wargaming topic. Yeah. If, you've got, if you've got 240 um, coconut trees, how many coconuts do you need? Uh, to it's only, no, it's only seven. It's two foot by four foot. I, there, there's, well, the tiles will take 72 trees. coconut palms. Right. <laughs> okay. So, so that's but but how many bounty bars is that? I think I, it's just a lovely I, bunch, Peter. It's a lovely bunch. Yeah, that's all you can say about it. Wow, and you can become a supplier of um, hipster coconut water for all the new modern age people. Yeah, possibly, possibly. It's your new side business. Yeah, uh, so let's take a photo just showing the tiles without the trees on. I also did so because I because the plantations in New Guinea weren't being tended, I they got a bit overgrown, so I added some insert bases. The oh, wow. secondary secondary jungle growth. Yeah. You could all that also call that sort of like um, uh, shell damage because see, it looks like yeah, they look like shell holes. Yeah, yeah. can I we can do yeah. Bit, bit too regular, bit too regular. Yeah. Are you are you going to enter your uh, battlefield for Hampton Court next year or busily on one of those? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that might be that might be an idea. Yeah. Then as. St- once once plantations are out of way, I started working on some some other terrain. I so some kunai grass patches. Is that is that the stuff that's in that um, that really arty film um, by oh, I can't remember the name of the director that's got loads of famous Hollywood actors in? Is it like the Big Red or something? No, um, oh, it's I like an arty Second World War. The big Red film. One. It's not Big Red or oh, no, Thin Red Line. Thin Red Line. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, from the book. Okay. So yeah, that's um that's the sort of grass that they all wade through there. So, so yeah, yeah, those probably Sean Penn. Is that the grass that cuts? Well, elephant grass? It's kunai grass, so it's different. It's diff- similar, but uh, can actually grow for much much taller than elephant grass, I think. So okay. I'm really telling the difference at 28 mil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Is that yeah. the grass? Well, you, you do. Well, I was like going, it's grass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it mown? No. Therefore, it's. Grass, yeah, huge, awesome, absolutely awesome. So, and then you've got your little geezers in there, and what? What rule set are they going to be playing when they fight their well, way through this? Be, it's going to be chain of command. Excellent. Okay, we, I can, I can, I can talk intelligently about that now. In the last three weeks, well, we, we can come on to that later. Then. Exactly. I'm, I'm now the world's greatest expert, um, allegedly, but fantastic. Yeah. No, no, that's so, superb. So you can see, I've lost a couple of photos that you've seen. I've uh, the train pieces. The larger I can easily, most of them can easily hold a full section. And a couple mm. of them can could actually could hold two. Yeah. So is that a section or a team, or is that one of the things that the rules industry? That's a section. A section. So it's it's ten man section or squad. Or squad, yeah. And started work on bamboo. <laughs> oh, <laughs> of course, we'd forgotten bamboo. How could bamboo. we forget bamboo? Yeah. I so I had two hundred and fifty sort of. 12 centimeter stems 
but they come in 250s don't they i think or, or uh, like hundreds. enormous hundreds yeah, okay hundreds or 50s right and had so those those and look lighter than the ones that i've got yeah used 250 <laughs> So I've run out and I've had to order some more. Because yours in here, they look lighter than the ones I've got. Yeah, I've, I've dry brushed them. Okay, that's good. That's, um, yeah, all 250. Did you dry brush them after they were based or before? Before. And and that was with a brush or with a spray thing or? Uh, that was with a, with a brush. I, did, I you do, did you do anything to seal them before you dry brush them or did you just straight dry brush for the i just straight dry brush yeah 250 bloody my god i've done the same with similar work yeah. similar thing with the kunai grass bits i dry brushed those while they were still on the on the mat yeah i think i used about six to do some bases for some malifaux figures that was about it but um, no that looks um, yeah. that looks hideously effective yeah yeah uh, so as you can see so done it with done them with these ones with pathways through yeah mm. yeah you you can probably actually lose figures for real in there yeah you could, yeah. probably could i you yeah. might not i you probably hear them hear them toppling over when you yeah. go to put the <laughs> scenery away but you probably hear them being attacked by very small 28 mil wild animals i imagine <laughs> um or something <laughs> like that yeah so that's all all of that done don't worry they'll come out and surrender uh, in about 30 years time yeah yes. yeah i've got so got that down currently work sort of been working the last couple of days doing a load of either sort of what, what i refer to as the chunky trunk palm trees okay. oh there's another tree phase coming in you're, you're, oh you've yeah done, there's, more, there's more another trees tree coming phase. in either sort of swamp swamp and and primary jungle bases wow okay so so when we come back in september or something there will still be more tree stories. I might have actually got, might have actually finished enough to finish around and got gone back to painting figures. No, that will be good. That will be fantastic. Oh wow! Well, look, that's that's awesome. That's more. Um, I, each week, I keep being astonished by how much we um, we learn about um, vegetation of Borneo in the nineteen forties, and um, and this week's been no no exception. And, and talking about luxurious vegetation. Um, Peter, your hair seems to be growing back quite well from um, from your cut. Uh, it, a little bit of facial fuzz as well, but the the main on I top just, is just to the haircut. Yeah, the, the, the haircut's I going. Can do the to, flow now? Yeah. yeah, it's looking quite bouffant. And I I hear there's allegations that you've actually painted something in the last three weeks as well. Yes, put brush um, to metal. Yeah, I cleaned up some Mycians and had a bit of a brush up on those and uh, mm. the army I bought, and that was quite nice. Rolling that out and having a go and uh, doing a couple of extra bits around that. Um, but the most recent ones, which I finished off a mere hour before I used them on Monday, were my Chinese cataphracts, which uh, were deployed to great effect and uh, great capability. But um, there's some nice little Essex ones. I quite enjoyed them, you know, uh, putting them together, getting them all cleaned up and everything else. They're quite ni nice little moulds. They go in quite nicely with the rest of my army. So um, they're quite enjoyable. I, I'm going on a cataphract theme so far. So the last couple of armies I've done, I've had cataphracts. And uh, I'm starting to understand that, uh, yeah, just keep it going forward. Question for you, mate. Because um, cataphracts, I've got some, but not too many. When you say Chinese cataphracts, do they look different? Do they look sort of like East Asian or is it just... Um, the armour just looks a little bit different. So... Uh, 
Um, actually, Adam, really... just just to just to interrupt Peter, there, we were playing him in, in one of the slightly less well lit parts of the escape. So, from from my point of view, I couldn't bloody tell you what they were. To be honest, it was they were like blokes on horses. But um, but Peter, go on. I'm sure they look lovely so in the real world. It, yeah. In the real world, uh, I had the joy of uh, spraying. Um, I actually chose the right colour this time, which uh, that, that's always a win for me. Uh, I got the metal one because uh, I'd actually seen a, a nice picture in um, one of the history museums. So it was like a nice sort of silver all over. But then they have the like the silk underneath sort of thing. So underneath the armour. So it was like doing that with a nice little red to make it stand out and a nice little red bloom on top. Um, it's quite nice. And then just sort of shading it, you know, bit of skin tone and everything else. But they, they pop Which army was this for, Peter? Hmm? North and South. Thing? North oh, and right. South. I was uh, doing a bit of uh, Bournemouth practice, but we'll get to that in a minute. But no, it was uh, the the cataphracts, uh, Adam. You know, they're quite nice. They're, they're different to the ones I've got in, say, the Parthians and that, because they're like uh, half armor. And yeah. some of the others have different types of armor with paneling or more silky type thing. It's supposed to be mm -hmm. straight metal. So um, you know, the ones I've seen so far have been different. It just adds a little bit of flavour. You know, you're probably only going to have, say, four of them max most of the time, uh, unless you're going crazy with Arm Armenians or something. So it's interesting to have a couple of little different ones. You know, they have a little flair one way or another. Cool. Okay, neat. And um, just going around the, um, the screen, and Simon, you've been, I, I think you, you put some new figures on the table recently as well. You've been doing some painting in the last three weeks. Yeah, so um, I purchased a whole bunch of uh, Clive's, uh, a couple of the Amazon off Clive's estate. So uh, one of our friends from the club, he passed away last year. Um, and I bought off him, he had this unboxed um, armies of the North, um, Charles XII army for the Swedish. And as people may, uh, you know, our listeners may remember, I have a slight thing for random Swedish armies and heavy metal. So I thought, why not? Let's paint up an army that um, with you know more Swedish heavy metal banners. So we've got um, a few more units have been painted up. So for Kings of the Battlefield, so this is like you know 18th century uh, warfare, where normally you're going to have between two or four guns on the table. I've now got eight. Whoops, um, may have bought a bit too many. Um, but I've also painted up some of the, the genre, some of these um, first of the line infantry. So they look they're kind of quite nice. And then painted up a couple more cuirassier units. So all nice blue coats, you know, the yellow cufflinks, which trying to do proper yellow is a right pain. I know Tamsin will say, here's how I did it before, you know, using hand um, ground ink and pigment. But, um, they're coming out quite nicely. And they're, these figures from Dixon's, it's the first time I've ever used them. They're quite nice uh, miniatures. They're nice sharp molds and um, with a bit of, bit of um, army difference, things like that. They come out quite nice. Okay. Are they the ones you actually got on table um, on Monday? Or was that a different set? They were a different set. So um, on Monday, I had it, had it my second game of King of the Battlefield, and half the army was from Lockdown 1. So they were the, um, the QRF miniatures from <laughs> that far back. And then the other half of the army is my version zero of the army, which is all from Lancashire models. So the, the more 18 mil style of figures. So cheap and cheerful. They give you the, uh, the breadth of the army, and then I've got the more um, better quality troops and the more Swedish Swedish painted ones and all that. But um, like as you're saying, we, we when we're playing a club in the uh, the deep dark corners of the the pub, lighting's not the best. So they all look fine. Yeah, uh, I, I must admit, I, I had well, 
I was down at the club as well on Monday and got some lockdown stuff out on table. But in terms of paint, so it's a lot of um, hot lights for one of the armies I'm, I'm using for Bournemouth. But the what I've just done literally today is I, I mat varnished all of these hot lights after rebasing them and, um, and redid all the shields and things like that. And it had been nag niggling me about the shields not looking quite right with, with sort of ultra matte on them. So I bought some, in fact, I went, walked into Shepherd's Bush and, and went to Dark Sphere, which is now open on, I think, Fridays and Saturdays, went down into this, the Stygian dungeon of, of that one and bought some, some satin varnish, which is not quite gloss and, and not quite matte. Um, and tried the sort of test of doing some of the hot light shields again because I didn't want them real full gloss, but I just wanted them more than matte. And it it's worked out quite well. Um, I chucked a, a couple of photos up on Twitter and people seem to like it. So I've I've just had a session of, of varnishing all the shields on all uh, far too many. I think it's probably like 200 plus hot lights just to, to give them a quick kind of skim over with with a satin varnish. So they end up with just a little bit of you know looking like they're a little bit polished or a little bit different to the matte finish for the figures and um, and the gloss metal for the, the metal guys and then i've been slowly working through some of those up oh god it's going back three five weeks whenever we talked about it some of the merliton stuff that i dipped and rebased and done with plastic um bristles for the spears so so i'm starting to get some of those into um into groups that can actually be based because I kind of quite often I just do all the spears and all the um, crossbows and all the longbows and then I kind of work it out later but because I was doing all these and sticking them on um, lollipop sticks to spray varnish them and undercoat sorry undercoat them not spray varnish Matt undercoat them I actually organized them how I want to base them up before um, I did them so each lollipop stick, you know, has got three crossbowmen for the back and then four spearmen for the front, and that's going to be a mixed formation. Or there's one, you know, with with eight spearmen, and that's going to be spearmen. And I'm doing the livery on it, so I've taken up a couple of the ideas from, from last time. Um, I saw the Norwich half, ones just now. Half and half, blue and white, some yellows and greens, doing the reds. And then um, today I printed off a load of graphics for shields to stick onto the Merliton shields and start start doing that as well so i think they're at that stage that they will suddenly get done quite quickly after being quite slow to to build up um i've got some 15 mil ancient spanish um i got hold of a corvus belli metal um i think dba army from from a guy at the club that are undercoated and are, are underway that will give me with what i had before um which i think was a corvus belli dba army a sort of a spanish army to add to my generic sets of barbarians from from beforehand as well there's been a bit of rebasing and then i've had this kind of chain of command flurry in which this unit or this no this box of plastic soldier 20 mil world war ii americans that i painted up years ago just just for the hell of it i, I have a suspicion i bought them at derby when it was still at um donnington castle donnington so that's going back four or five years or six years or something like that anyway i bought three shermans and a box of the psc plastic american infantry that i just painted up for fun um and i've actually played now two games of chain of command which i bought the rule set 
probably five or six years ago as well um never got around to doing it in the last few weeks and that's inspired me to get the rest of these guys um done and, and painted up and then that led to a flurry of of extra bases because in chain of command there's quite a lot of teams of there's a two-man bazooka team or there's a five-man team that runs a heavy machine gun or a three-man team that runs a light machine gun so i got some of those bases from war bases with the cutouts for one piece because all my figures are based on one piece and rare earth magnets to stick in little holes in the bases so that you can magnetize a a little fire team of, of three or two or five and just move them around much more easily and um and, and of course i i ordered it from war bases then got them then painted them up then realized i actually needed some more so kind of war bases got two you know nine pound 48 orders from me in within like two days or something which is just like why did i do that that's a waste of postage bad planning and and a few more um american infantry to do it and then and I, I think ebay's just no not ebay amazon has just delivered me a zvezda bofors gun which is one of the options for the american support which was cheaper on amazon with prime delivery so it came the next day than i could find a zvezda thing on on ebay which was odd really because you always assume that ebay is gonna even for brand new stuff someone's gonna be offering it cheaper but I, I found one on Amazon from a, a retailer that was was cheaper than that. So I've got to kind of glue that together and and put that all together as well. So so it's been kind of an eclectic few weeks of of moving stuff forward and moving stuff on. But from from fifteen mil medievals and fifteen mil ancients, and then then this very strange bits of twenty mil World War Two and and super kind of groovy basing, which has you know, jumped forwards and got some stuff on table. So. So that's been kind of particularly quite unusual, really, um, in, in terms of progress and, and a bit of refurbishment from, from older stuff as well. This means war. This means war. But, you know, talking about old stuff that's been refurbished, Andy, have you been doing much painting recently? <laughs> I actually got a little bit done, yes. Um, I That Persian army I bought um, uh, from that guy on Facebook, um, which arrived, the, the, you know, the one with the 12 tugs that we talked about last time. Mm. Um, they need a bit of, some of them need a bit of TLC to, to tidy them up a bit. So, for example, the um, I've done a kind of wash on the figures and you know, just you know, dry brushed over the faces again and painted up where the spears were a bit cracked. So... And, and put magnetic bases on. So I've done all the infantry now, and then eventually I'm going to have to do the cavalry, but that might involve repairing a few spears and stuff, which is you know, a bit more labor intensive. So I've kind of slightly parked that to one side. Um, meanwhile, I did manage to spray in the garden a couple of weeks ago, um, 30, 25 mil spearmen, which are going to be for my medieval army, uh, sorry, my, my feudal army, and wow. the, um, also, since I was out spraying, I basically got everything I could find to paint. So I've got the um, cruel seas, all the boats I've got for that. They, they've all been sprayed, uh, and also okay. the the Ottoman grey. Well, no, I actually painted them. I actually sprayed them black because I only had black spray. Probably would be better to spray them grey, but yeah, just at least get some kind of shadowing or shading yeah. effects when I 
when I when I go over them in grey. Um, I mean, the painting guide with it seems to be fairly picky about what shade of grey you do it in. But quite honestly, I suspect that just two or three different tones of grey and a little bit of rust yeah. and a bit of wooden planking and stuff. And, you know, it kind of look it kind of look what they probably looked like if you came across them in a harbour. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So stuff bobbing around in the harbour then. All right. Okay then. Well, I think we um just looking around the screen, we appear to be oh bereft of an bereft of an Adam um somewhere at the moment. I, I believe he's done some painting, but if we manage to if we manage to establish contact with him again, we can um we can dial him in later. But otherwise I think Dave, unless unless you've done any painting in the last couple of weeks, no, no painting from Dave. No painting, just working. Just been working a, a work free zone. So, so I think that um, that rounds up temporarily, unless we come back to it. This week's painting. So look, after um, after done painting, we've. We normally go into the section on what games have you played, but I think we can probably do a um, a kind of slight recap of, of our last proper, in fact, our last two podcasts, or the last two podcasts, were both York-themed. One was us predicting um, badly, I suspect, the um, the potential winners from our weird... Do anybody remember what football was about when that was exciting? I don't think we're that far off our prediction for you. We weren't that far off, I, I don't think. And, um... well, I think we, we predicted Julian would get to the semi-final. Yes. Oh, yeah. Then we thought. Then we thought. Then we thought the the ancient British well, would beat we, him. That Julian and Richard would get to the semi final. Mm. Yeah, but 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 they um, played. They, they, yeah. they played. Dave Allen did a spoiler. Yeah. Yeah. Dave Allen snuck through. He was the. Um, he would be what the, the, the Danes or something. The, the Joker yeah. in the pack. The Iceland. I yes, think the Iceland. We all, we all had a go at Julian's no bar type. And uh, Richard beat them, and uh, Dave Allen and I lost to them, which hmm. basically gave Julian the competition. Yeah. Well, so I, th I think I Dave Allen was saying that if he'd gone for a draw rather than trying to beat them, he might have done that, and then points-wise, he might have won the whole thing. Yeah, but that's shameful, though, isn't it? Really, you can't do that. But do you think the ancient Brits would have beat them, Dave? I mean, having played it, you know, because a massed Were army there any of ancient Brits there. There was an ancient Brit. We we predicted an ancient Brit getting to the final with massed, yeah. impetuous. You know, massed, impetuous swordsmen. Maybe they could have overrun the kind of crappy filler before think, the six camels did the damage. But I think the camels would have just run. It wasn't a sophisticated army. Judean used. You'll hate that hearing that. Yeah. yeah. Well, did, didn't the three armies with the medium foot sort of like get run over? Sort of. Yeah. Sort of. But those are one of yours, Tim. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. But, but against Julian's army, though, Julian's oh, army did have a lot of medium sword. Sort of medium, medium sword armies ended up sort of mid-table. Yeah, mid-table. But I think Julian's had a lot of medium foot in it as well. Yeah, if 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 Tim or Gordon's medium foot monstrosities have faced um, Julian's army, I think they've had a pretty good chance. I mean, you think you probably get sacrificed to the elephant uh, to the yeah. camels down the centre of the table, but yeah. you'd have smashed hell out of his two wings and get around the back. And I think you get around the back of the camels, you're there. And if you stick the chariots in front of the camels and withdraw, then you'd be all right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, bizarrely. So, so, so sort of strange enough, our football prediction of the ancient bit Brits beating Julian's army. Um, might have worked, but unfortunately, the ancient Brits didn't get through to um to the semi-finals stage. <laughs> they um they they had a 
a nightmare in the opening rounds. I presume they were they were sort of like the French or something, got knocked out by by somebody. Did they get knocked out by the Austrians or the Swiss? Didn't they? That was it. They got yeah, it was on penalties. The, the French made out, wasn't it? Yes, they went out on penalties. So, um, so and they're they the world champions. So you know, yeah. kind of put it in perspective. It was good to um, it was good. We had a an epic trip up the A1, yes. um, which was totally bizarre. Pornographer's paradise. Sorry. Pornographer's paradise on the, the Pornographer's A1. paradise. The A1. The um, as Alan Carr, the comedian, says, the horniest road in Britain, because <laughs> it's got um, for some bizarre reason, every old little chef which for those of you outside the UK was kind of a roadside cafe chain, which makes no sense at all, of the 1970s um, that we all would have frequented with, with our families, I'm sure. Um, all of the closed down little chefs have, um, have been turned into sex shops up and down the A1. Um, and really? some of them are independent. And then there's like a chain as well, clearly, because some of them share the same name. And, um, and this is a thing. <coughs> This is there's articles on the BBC, there's podcasts about it, comedians do skits about it. It's it's a thing, but we we not quite realized how many there were because it's because I've not driven that far up the A1 before, but they're every every few miles, it's kind of quite disturbing. And then and then it's kind of American Diner world as well, isn't it? American Diner was dreadful. Yeah, yeah, you had the worst burrito in the world, was it? I think that's I mean, burrito is quite a simple thing. But when the burrito came and the woman came over and says, um, oh, I'm sorry, I think we've given you the vegan burrito. Would you like the cheese and the um, sour cream? And she bought that in pots, mm. which actually didn't improve it at all. No. <laughs> but I suppose if you're asking for something vegetarian um, and you're, you know, you're north of Lincoln at that point in time, that is taking a bit of a risk, isn't it? They're not going to put a sausage, a Lincoln sausage in there just for the spice it up. Yeah. No, they might do. And they might do. And we did see a Vulcan bomber as well, which was yes. unusual. And, and um, Fairy Gannet. We like the Fairy, fairy Gannet. Yeah. Yeah, we like uh, that. Possibly one of the ugliest aircraft ever seen. Oh, um, cool. And then it was kind of weird doing a, an actual competition in a in tent it. outside with real people. In a pub car park with a gazebo put up. Yeah, and it didn't rain. It didn't rain actually, did it? No, it was it was it was excellent, really. It was. Um, I think everybody was so so happy to be at a competition and meeting real people and, and shoving soldiers around. It had a really good vibe. It, it, was, it was brilliant. It was. I mean, it's just really good seeing everybody still alive, still playing, and uh, lots and lots of new toys painted and stuff. And uh, mm. it's great. I just yeah. played Romans after Romans and Julian and. After playing Julian, I was quite happy to come eighth, I think. Yeah, <laughs> get done. Yeah, no, I think I think my experimental Thracian army was, um, you know, it it just struggled to deal with cataphracts, really. But um, but looking at it, I think there was, you know, there was a couple of times when if the terrain had fallen a bit kinder or or if I had a bit more of the rubber the green against the, the second string troops, it it could have done it could have done better. Well, well, what do you think is the best thing for taking on cataphracts then? Elephants. Elephants should be good. Spearmen should be good. Silos, I think. You know, um, maybe. Did you, in fact, Dave, you had your supported Romans. Did they manage to stand up to cataphracts, or did you? They, they they scared the cataphracts off, which was quite bizarre, really. Especially as I had the two integrated artillery. Um, no, straight enough, the only cataphracts I saw was the first game against Sassanids, and um, I was kind of chasing his cavalry 
round the back of his army and uh, squeaked to victory by one point when I thought I was going to lose. But no, I, I didn't really get into much combat with cataphracts at all. I, I think that Sassanid army was the only cataphract army I saw. Other than that, it was kind of like Romans and... Uh, yeah, surprising. I'd have thought they'd uh, take a few more of them. I played, I played I Sean a few weeks ago. The games that came up. I, I played Sean a few weeks ago when he had um, cataphract army, and I, I had some supported heavy Roman infantry, and they stood up reasonably well. I mean, they were getting a bit battered by the end of it, but they held up long enough to enable other people to come and hit his cataphract in the flank. I, I must admit, you know, even the games I've played since um, with other armies as well, the cataphracts, you know, they probably do end up, well, they do end up winning nearly all the time, but but they're so unmaneuverable after that, and, and there are so few of them in most armies. It's kind of like, you know, there's four cataphracts, you feed them four things, and they probably kill those four things, but then it's sort of the end of the game. And, and it's not necessarily the cataphracts punching and then suddenly exploiting because they just don't have the ability to turn and and go chasing stuff around and hit loads of other things they're and they're expensive so if you've got four things that cost a dozen points and and they kill four or five of the enemy point for point they're probably not um you know not winning but it just take up the but attention if they're up against sort of like heavy legion you know, Heavy Legion, you know, they throw in sort of like uh, Swordsman Impact. That's 12 points anyway. No, so it's that, just the same cost. But, but it's I just, think, um, was, I think you're right. I think it's they... the exploit piece that is got to be different. You've got to have uh, a cavalry with it, bit heavy cavalry, probably not Impact. Something that is like, uh, it, it's like the wing, wingman trailing on behind. You know, he's not as yeah. good as looking, but the uh, cataphracts of the, uh, the blue-eyed boys stomping through to open the way for him to go and stomp all the light infantry. Yeah, I, th I think that's it. And it was when they're not, when there's nothing else with them, you know, they they do sort of end up winning and then going, right, it's time up. And can oh, we, we did our bit. Else? Well, what's the rest of you doing? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What's the rest of the army doing? Um, so that's it. And then we actually had, um, going back to the competition, we, um, we, we, had, we didn't even have a curry, did we? Um, we had fish and chips. Yeah, fish uh, and chips and. Um... Um, so it wasn't a proper competition if you didn't have a curry. So no, we were we were deep into fish and chip territory. So so we went to the Weatherby Whaler, which um by all accounts is basically Harry Ramsden's but four quid more expensive. And sounds um, like one of those shops on the A1. Yes, the Weatherby Whaler, yeah. You could buy a special pair of galoshes or something. Do I tell my story now? You can try and tell your story, Dave. Yeah. So Sunday morning, one of the Northern players came over and said, oh, um, I'm coming down to London. I've got two or three months worth of work in London. I'll be staying in King's Cross in a hotel. Where's the club in? Where's Central London War Games Club? I said, oh, we're perfect. We're just in Camden. And um, I'll tell you what, I'll email you. Give me your email address. I'll email you and I'll copy in the War Games, the, the Central London email so you can copy contact us when you get to London and to sort out some games. So I emailed him. This later shout went up and says, you're Dave Saunders from the podcast. <laughs> Dave's got his own fan club. It's like, uh, right, okay, yeah. <laughs> Dave, did, did you sign your autograph for him, Dave? No, 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 no. I, 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 I didn't have my book of scripts with me. 
<laughs> what you need is a pack of Dave Saunders playing cards. So like in Apocalypse Now, you can each time you play something, you can card. leave a playing card with them. With, with your a, name with signed a, across with the same it. Same pronunciation of the foreign war games figure, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that could be it. Celebrity beckons. So so yeah, yeah. So for the rest Spelled of you, out yeah. in cruniform. Exactly. Just watch out when you go to a war games competition, guys. If you actually talk to somebody, they might suddenly be shocked at talking to somebody from our podcast. Yeah, and I, and I guess they're not seeing the Zoom that we do, so you know, so they don't know who these people are. Um, Lucky they, people. Yeah. So did he? Did he look shocked? Well, they recognise you by the hairstyle, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's simple that's enough. It. And the golden the figures one. on the table. Yeah. You've got to have a bling. Yeah. No, that's good. Okay. I had a dragon last time. Yes, that's true. Um, okay, so let's let's keep going around. Andy, um, have you have you been doing your Dave Ray world in the last few weeks? Yeah, we have gone gone done a couple of different games. Um, we I'll make a I've made a note of what we do here. I'll just briefly summarise it. We did um, nice one last week. Kingdom of Sicily against Byzantines. That was Battle of I think it was Dyrrhachium in ten eighty one. That was quite jolly. Um, um, before that, we did um, two Typha armies, um, and I had El Cid, and that, that went well. Um, and, you know, st still generally good fun. Uh, tomorrow night, we're doing some battle in China. He's found these various historical battles, most of which I've never heard of. Um, but the one tomorrow is uh, Song Against Jurch and Chin. So I've got the Jurch and Chin, which never used before. So... Uh, yeah, that used to be the super army, didn't it? But I think it's been a bit defanged. Very now. heavily downplayed that army now. Yeah. Well, they, well, they, they, they don't got seem rid to have a lot of the impact. They don't seem to have much infantry. The, the cavalry seems to be a lot of it. Seems to be this uh, shooty bow horsing, but it's half. It's impact half bow, so that you have to bump them up to elite to get proper shooting. Yeah, it's not as good as it was that that kind of magic double but, double header. Yeah, but, but they do have uh, they do have uh, four four cataphract. So uh, okay. hopefully we can. That's somebody where it hurts with them, yeah. Good. All right. And um, Simon, what about you in, in terms of games in the last few weeks? Have you been making a few forays down the club? Yeah, so I had my first practice game for uh, Bournemouth. So we had a Chinese civil war. So we had Chinese warring states versus the Chinese North and South Army. So, uh, both Gordon and I were practicing our armies and using what do we paint over the various lockdowns. So he had his new chariots that hadn't seen light of day. So I um, brought a few of my other armies to, uh, to come on the table. It's quite impressive seeing that many chariots and um, swordsman-based infantry come charging across the table. So we got a result. Um, I think everybody in the army got into combat or into very close bow fire, so it was quite bloody. So um, I've got a few practices and um, improvements to make to my army list because um, Gordon thrashed me. So that was quite good fun. It sounds like a game in which everything got into combat is... Um... Is almost the antithesis of the game that we played um, with the with the norm with my rebase Normans was it I think um, yeah or Sicilian Normans in Sicily against your um, Ottomans or Ottoman slash generic Arab yeah yeah I brought those um they were he hadn't hadn't evolved to become Ottoman Turkish so they were the Middle Turks so they weren't mm -hmm. sure what time they were yet so that was quite good fun yeah when we had everybody got in contact um. And Andy and I had a second game of King of the Battlefields on, on Monday. So we played a smaller game. So we used, King of the Battlefield is normally played on a standard six foot by four foot table. 
So we played a, a smaller game just using an ADLG sized table and cut the troop size down to the right size. And we um, had, a, again, a cracking game. Both of us managed to get pretty much every unit into melee, combat, running away, uh, got an on-table flank march running, and then my army broke. <laughs> oh, okay. One of those. It was quite impressive when the army was like, I'm holding, I'm holding, five units break in one turn. I went, hmm, so um, I guess I should go get another glass of wine because um, that's the game. <laughs> yeah. That was it can happen. One, one, one minute your arm is looking solid, next minute it's it's a massive great hole in your middle. Um, it can happen to either side. Um, yeah. well, I did have to. I did have to. Um, the first the first two die rolls I made with the army. This is, I was using my Prussian army, which I'd bought from Clive's estate. Um, were a one and a two, and this is on a D10. And I had to remind Clive he didn't own the army anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Send up prayers to Clive. Indeed. Okay. This means war. Um, Peter, what, what about you? You've been. Um, did you manage to get any of um, other than the the cataphracts out? Is that um, your um, game? I had the, the Mycenaeans. I had you my first out the Mycenaeans. Yeah. Um, oh, how was against that? Dan. Yeah, it was a good hmm. laugh. A really good fun. Um, I was learning that. Um, yeah, a load of heavy spear needs spicing up a bit. So I think next time I'll stick some archers in with them and that. Otherwise, people sort of like go. Yeah, that's great. I'm going to kind of run around you and ignore you and you can just yeah. like trot around and chase after me and be quite boring. So what, what was uh, that using? Um, was it his Roman? I think it was Egyptian. Or... Um, oh, no, it was okay. Roman. Assyrians, isn't he? Um, he had two different armies. I'm trying to remember now. It was three weeks okay. ago. Oh, right. I think his biblical army is Assyrian. Yeah. Um, but no, it was good. Um, I kind of lost, but I had fun doing it and got, got an army out and sort of worked out that I need to do a couple of bits. You know, Stan was giving me some advice about uh, putting some bowmen in with the spearmen stuff and which I used to uh, better effect uh, with my Chinese later on. But hmm. um, yeah, I was having quite quite a good time, you know, get them out of the table, try them out, uh, give them a run round. So it was a bit of fun trying them out. That's good. Well, at some point we'll have to have an, um, a Mycenaean off. Or yes. That could be... Um... Is that Troy against the the other ones, the Achaeans against the Trojans? Yeah, because that that covers both armies, doesn't it? I think. Yeah, they they do both sides, don't they? It's it's pretty yeah. much you line up uh, a whole bunch of uh, heavy spear and then just go at it, you know. <laughs> yeah, just roll some <laughs> dice. As, it's uh, like hey, bombs all intended. around. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, Adam, what about you? Oh, you're you're back online by the looks of it. And um, hello. We we can either take. Um, any gaming discussion of yours or any painting discussion we'll, we'll give you a, a pass out to bring painting into this section of the pod well it's both quite short so i i think i can cover both in one the painting um i remember three weeks ago going oh i'm still doing these bloody swiss pikes um because i just haven't had a chance to really do painting so i've done very little but i've now got them i've just been gluing on to the basis so the bases are looking at me and they're all painted and gosh it's um they look good but ADLG, how ADLG looks, it's odd because usually I like, as a full game, I like a, a, how ADLG looks, even though there's not that many figures. Because it looks like, yeah, sort of like there's a, a flank attack going on there and there's a clash in the middle and it looks like good as a battlefield. But 
And when I did the Romans and I sort of like put them all out, I thought, yeah, that looks very Romany and they look good. For Swiss pipe blocks, there's just not enough figures. It's not pikey enough. Um, Because even sort of like 12 on the base, I'm thinking that's not telling me Swiss. So Mm. maybe once they're on the table and they're in the middle of an army, they're going to look good. But I'm looking at them thinking, well... Uh, I think once they're in um, on the table, I've, I've seen it before. I think Simon's had it uh, where you've got them on the table and it's a nice big block of them. They, they look quite good on mass. I know what you mean. As an individual block, it doesn't quite have that same sort of uh, effect. Well, there's, yeah. there's two blocks side by side, and that should be, I mean, in ADLG, two blocks of elite pikes side by side is like serious, yeah. really. Um, but it's and maybe when it's got all the other units around it and they look like the centerpiece of the army. Have you, the, um, have you got the flags in place yet as well? Well, I did. I put the flags on, but I didn't go for the giant ones. I went for the ones that came with the um, Perry because mm. if I went for big ones, they would be sort of like going from the front to the back of the unit type mm. thing. And I, that would have just looked, I think it would have looked too big. Whereas the smaller Perry ones, um, although they're not massive, they are big enough on the base. To, uh, big flags. Yeah, because uh, uh, on, big that, flag. on that big point, flag. my 15 mil ones have got mm-hmm. pikes at the 45 degree. So mm-hmm. and they've got big flags. So the pikes at the 45 degree almost make with with flags on them, two or three flags on each base, almost make them look like they're twice as deep in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Yeah. So I, I don't know whether it's it is a thing about vertical pikes is just a little bit less. Um, I think a number of flags makes it look good. If you have two flags, we'll say one in the front rank and one in the middle, kind of offset to one side, that makes it look a bit more crowded. I've got, because I'm looking at the base, and actually the pikes are up, and now I'm looking at it from the side. There is quite a good forest of pike effect going on, and the flags, because on the two bases I've got three flags. So maybe, maybe I've just, I need to do the basing, and maybe I just need to, because I've, I've got a bit down on them because they've taken me so bloody long. It's not their fault. It's my children's fault, to be honest. Um, so perhaps when I finish them, I'll get them out and go, yeah, they, they look good. Um, so that's that's that. And gaming-wise, I've managed to do absolutely no gaming whatsoever. So I've been trying to organise games, and I've been looking through my diary going, oh, Monday evening, no, I can't do it. Tuesday, oh, no, I'll bogger. I, I just, um, hopefully come the summer holidays when my children aren't doing so many things in the evening, I'll be able to get a game in. But at the moment... Um, I haven't been able to play a game, but I do have a non-gaming thing just to uh, advise a wargaming world. When um, let's let's come to that after we um after we wrap up the gaming then, because um, I think there's just is that just me left. Tamsin, have you managed to fit any games uh, in? I managed to get weeks? a game in on Monday. Oh, you did. Yeah, she was down the club. Yeah, you you played Stan as well. What what army did you wheel out there? Uh, it was an Allens against was it like Allens or... against his Republican Romans. Okay. And it was it was an interesting terrain because there were two large woods in the centre on one flank and he'd got a river down but when he rolled it, rolled to see what, what sort of river it was, it was dry. Oh, okay. So not that it at all. had absolutely no effect no no effect on it. And played it I made a made a couple of tactical errors, but in the end Sort of, I shoot it. I because I took quite a lot of quite a lot of bow cavalry. And of course, he's got he, his Romans rule armored. 
the small and hard up Roman army. That's yeah, so, in between two woods. So shooting just didn't get anywhere against his, his infantry. And I didn't ha really have enough of the impact impetuous cavalry to do I to do serious damage. I did some damage, but not mm. enough. Not enough and went down on that one. Yeah. Can I just say on them armies? The vagaries of history are really, really weird because if your name's Alan and you do wargaming and you don't have an army of Alans, there's something wrong with you. Because yeah. it's like, imagine, right, that in the sort of like fifth century, accompanying the Huns, there was a tribe of Daves sweeping across yeah. Europe. You know what I mean? So now you have lots of Dave armies playing. It's well, actually, if, if anybody, had... called, anybody called Francis has to, has to have an army of Franks. If there'd been an army of Daves, you know, every war game manufacturer would have been rich because there are so many bloody Daves play war games, aren't there? Everybody exactly. would have had one. The name Allen comes from the Allens. <laughs> I suppose it does. Romans, but... Romans settled, captured Allens in Brittany. It's part they of were... an army, and that's where the name Allen comes from. And the name Frank comes from... Yeah. <laughs> well, how, how, actually, how many war gamers called Norman are there then? Fair yeah. point. I, I actually played uh, against Stan's Republican Romans, and my cataphracts had great fun stomping. So, like, ate them up. There's the thing. Yeah. There's definitely. And you can also you can also back up and charge back in again using your impact. Didn't need to. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, just chew through. Okay. Well, I think my um my last few weeks, say York, was interesting. It was it was kind of a fun weekend using this this medium foot Thracian army as we mentioned that that didn't quite work, which I didn't sort of expect it to. But it, I, but I'm glad I got the figures on the table. I think and I, I gave people some interesting tactical challenges um, until they won um, for a, for a short period of time. But over the last few weeks, I've had two games um, of chain of command, which is a, a very interesting, you know, wildly popular skirmishy World War II system So that with, with these 20 mil guys. And it's really interesting learning a brand new system with a diff, totally different set of mechanics. And, and it's trying to work out whether I'm learning, you know, I'm getting tripped up by learning mechanics or getting tripped up by that difference of Second World War tactics to ancient tactics because you know ancients and renaissance games and even napoleonic games are kind of lining up and committing troops and overwhelming people and, and getting into combat and forcing the issue and and getting the opponent off balance whereas you you kind of go into it with that sort of mentality into almost every other game and think yeah i've got to be on the front foot and i've got to be going forwards and the and the rules will reward that and and then i've been finding that no, no, this is the World War II game. You know, you, you're you starting with sort of equal forces and you need to kind of engineer a three-to-one advantage somehow um, in one area to make it sensible. And that's kind of hard <laughs> on a, on a four-foot wide table or, or, or a six-foot wide table even. And, um, and then 
so I've I've obviously I've lost the first two games, which basically both the same of them and my Americans tried to advance into um Germans who then suddenly appear with MG34 teams and shred them um at the key moment and then appear with support artillery and, and shred them as as I try to advance towards defended positions. So after two games, I've kind of learned actually I'm even though I'm supposed to be attacking in this scenario, I've I need to wait and just shell them repeatedly for a for a long period of time to to erode them down before I even order my guys to to get moving. And um and the it, it's one of those sets of rules that's kind of written quite um almost sort of conversationally. It's not got that you know terminology with this is a term in italics and there's all this sort of bit over is it a team or a squad or a section or a platoon or it is and I'm, I'm struggling with that and then there's things about turns as well so it's a, it really actually my conclusion is which i think everybody else who's played it has already worked out is it needs to be played almost as a mini campaign and there's a lot of mini campaigns for it because then the campaign of playing five or six games with a theme allows the allied side to bring in more fresh reinforcements and then the germans have to do that german thing of not having very many men but they're very good and they've got to protect them and they've got to fall back and 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 the germans then have to have strategically or tactically sometimes it's the right option for the germans to to pull back because they're taking a few casualties whereas if you just play it as a one-off game the germans sit there and will win um, or the Americans need to just bring up artillery and pound the Germans from a long distance. So fairly like, realistic. It's, yeah, it's, it's like really, it's weirdly, it's realistic. It's kind of you know, so I, about I, I, between fifty and sixty percent of all casualties were either artillery or mortar. It, it could well be, you know, and, and it's no, it a weird was. thing. It is, you know, no, it's a weird. It was. It, no, I'm saying, that, yeah, I, absolutely. I'm saying it is, and but it's it's such an odd thing to try and get your head around or it makes you reflect on some of the other rules that that we play is that a difference between ancient and you know big battles lining up warfare um or is it that the second world war and modern rules i've played before have been kind of tweaked to make attacking and being on the front foot and, and getting into combat more effective because that's kind of fun um because it I, might I, also be um, a question of scale. Where, yeah. where it's skirmish game, um, hiding in the building, hiding in the woods and shooting um, is probably a good thing. Whereas something like Blitzkrieg Commander, where you're looking at far bigger, actually taking the initiative, pounding somewhere of artillery and rolling through with your tanks and doing that, grabbing and keeping the initiative might work better because it's sort of like there are more resources to pour in, if you see what I mean. I think it might be, but I'm, I'm still... I've still got, I've still, well, you know, I've only played two bloody games. So, um, but my question to myself is I've played, my other games have been, you know, BKC, Cold War Commander, and, and PBI, the Peter Pig game. And the scenarios in Blitzkrieg Commander and the scenarios in, or the game setup in PBI, um, PBI's got a countdown mechanism that each pair of turns you roll a dice and add it to the turn counter. And when that gets to 21, it's over. So if you're the attacker, you do start with a big, you know, a, a numerical advantage in, in troops just about. 
and you start with more stuff on table and, and the other guy brings more reserves on but you have to push on because at any turn you know you roll two sixes and suddenly you've added 12 to the turn counter and you're getting towards 21 and well, there's going to be when I, when I played flames of war um oh the, yeah you played the, a lot of that, the yeah. old version um, not the current one. I haven't played the current one, but the, the previous one, the artillery could be used to great effect. I had an American army and that was great fun. Um, but because you had uh, objectives to take and different scenarios per battle, you could be on the defensive and then you'd, they simulated that by you had other forces turning up and the same with the attacker, you, you know, they had arrived in different bounds. So it made it a little bit more interesting from that aspect. And so the artillery could have an effect, but you had to work out some people didn't like it because with the rangers having artillery on the table it was just a bit too close and things like that mm. which is understandable but um i thought it worked quite nicely some it was some thought it was a bit overpowered but but did, you know, did the Americans game did, did the game balance that. with you know flames of wars obviously hugely was is hugely popular but i've not played it so did the game balance encourage you to get forward and get into hand-to-hand combat you know, um, it, it, it depends on your troop type. So right. you could actually choose different troops. Uh, some would be better at defending, some would better assault. Some, um, if you just threw them forward, then you know, nine times out of ten, it's not going to work that well. Even if yeah. you're going forward with you know the shock troops, they could still bounce off because you want to suppress the enemy. So you want to get a couple of suppressions on there, mm. be it from artillery or fire, to get the heads down effectively when they're going in, because otherwise they can have extra firepower at you, which I thought was a, a, a pretty good setup. So either obscuring them with smoke or yeah. pounding them with the artillery a bit. So yeah. even if you didn't kill them, you had mm. them suppressed. But even that smoke's an interesting thing. Smoke, smoke's obviously something you can do in... Well, the British particularly can do, I understand, in, in chain of command. And Tamsin, you played you know much more of this, I, I guess, than I, but there's almost feels like there's a um the best tactics are the historical tactics. And those yes. historic tactics are about um winning with minimizing your own casualties and risk, which you well, take that well, to depending, one logical depending on nationality, yeah. Depending on nationality, maybe there's the Japanese and, and the, the Japanese, Russian. Russia did the whole charge forward. The best, the best thing. Best yeah. just keep, keep keep driving them forwards but yeah but if it feels like you know with germans against americans there's a component i haven't really worked out and this may just be wrong is that the way to win is to adopt a set of tactics and play style that will actually make the game fairly miserable for your opponent well no it's more counterpunch. it's sort yeah. of like um con it, i mean it, it works how it's supposed to you've got to have that yeah. concentration of effort and yeah. if they respond and you've done a feint pulling back to basically suck them into an ambush a trap that you've set up which they have to then come into terrain that's a disadvantage of them and this and the other um uh, that becomes a lot more tactical game so you're actually yeah. thinking more like 3d chess and everything else it's, uh, it's the game is it like a platoon versus platoon patrolly type thing going yes, on that's literally yes. it yeah then, yeah it's platoon enough, that's, then yeah. there really shouldn't be too much of an advice it should be sort of like okay if if it's equal type of forces it should be kind of cagey really because like what you said about pbi it is set up that one side's the attacker with yeah. more resources and told 
to crack on and you've got to push through. Yeah. Now, even when you talk about, oh, that's World War II, the Russians did that, the Japanese did that. Well, yeah. no, it's, it's like the Americans and the British in Normandy. They mm. took horrendous casualties pushing on through. So if the game's set up with lots more resources, but if it's supposed to be a relatively fixed front with two platoons feeling each other out, then that is going to be a sort of like slower, ooh, not sure what's going on here. I yeah. don't want to go running over there. I might get shot type thing. Yeah, yeah, where you pin someone and then flank, you know, that's pre-game setup things really important as well. I've I've clearly not got my head around, but I'm starting to understand. Oh, the the patrol phase. Yeah, the patrol phase is really important. But when you read the accounts in World War Two, even in Normandy, where there was horrendous casualties, um, certainly the Brockage and everything else, when you read like um, the accounts from some of like the lieutenants and sergeants and that level, the platoon level, uh, a lot of it where you could literally have a big sort of concentrated, very small battle, one platoon versus another, and literally the next hedge over, there's nothing happening, you know, because the thick brocage and separation of communication. So you could actually have that, you know, um, platoon by platoon. I mean, some of the larger ones, great, you know, Cobra and everything else, the breakout and things, it's different. But, you know, when you read some of the accounts, it's, it, it conveys across the whole... Um, lack of communication the fog of war that sort of thing yeah it's kind of like you know i I think i'm really fascinated by it and i really like it you know and it's interesting because it's 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 a puzzle that my mind's trying to work out how to become better at it which is brilliant you know but a big part of that puzzle which i didn't really expect and maybe this is what i'm just trying to articulate here is is i'm having to retrain my expectations about how the game will play out because we've all spent so long playing big bat and ancient games where you know i think the phrase is you've got to break some eggs you know particularly even the new version of adlg is probably a bit more along the line of you've got to take some risks to to win the game and you are going to lose some casualties to win the game and and you've got to put troops into combats that they could win and they should win but they still could lose and and you know that both sides are taking risks with that and and one of the things I think we all like about ADLG that that had kind of gone wrong with Fog before it and even DBM before it was that it, those rules had got to a stage at which you could win the game without taking any risks, um, or a good player could win those games without taking any risks. Whereas ADLG, you can still get battered by by the dice, and if somebody lines up troops solidly in a few lines um, and doesn't give away flanks, you can you can be relatively competent um just by doing fairly simple tactics yet this the tactics are quite sophisticated they're not keep three solid lines protect your flanks then you know no matter how clever the other person is they're just gonna have to steam in and and roll some dice and you might win this is the tactics are actually quite complicated and it's trying to engineer a position at which it's hard to get to a stage that the other person doesn't really have much chance and you're trying to tip the odds which is I'm having to retrain my mind um, on my wargaming mind to think about it, which is, which is really interesting. It's a real, real head scratcher. So, but, um, but no, I'm, I'm enjoying it. And I think um, hopefully um, Jeff, who I played the first game against um, our, our club mate um, doesn't listen to this podcast with a bit of luck and he won't then know that I've, I've played another game um, against Don, um, Mr. Avis and, um, and hopefully learnt a lot more. So next time I turn up to play Jeff, I'll be two games in, and he'll think that I'm only one game in, and, um, and my Americans could do loads of cool stuff. So well, um, Jeff's a good player anyway. 
um, he and I used to play uh, Ronald before he before yeah. lockdown and before he got ill. And I know it's a different scale, but Rommel also is is an interesting mindset for World War Two in that you you can only have three units in a square, so you can never gang up more guys. The only way you get higher odds is by throwing artillery and support in, which costs resources which are finite. Um, but you very rarely pile into a battle, smack the enemy, and take the place, and then say, right, let's move on. Um, you have to hammer away at them. Mm. While you're doing that, you've got to think of how can I put threats in other areas so they can't keep reinforcing them and recycling units or stop them coming around your flank or whatever. So you do you are thinking more in a kind of macro level. And meanwhile, you know, you, you're using up your command dice, which get um, you know, recycled every so often. But you, you know, there's this feeling of time and resources are being used up. Yeah. And I haven't actually got anywhere. Yeah, no, I, I think it's yeah, it's just it's just remembering that there's different ways of playing different games for different periods, which which clearly is is self evident. But it's good to have that you know your nose rubbed in that again every now and then, just yeah. to, to remember how different things work. So does it do okay. a sort of morale component as well? Enormous. Yeah, it's it's yeah. all about morale, and there's there's all sorts of. Um, other game mechanics that about having impetus yeah, and morale. That, that's, that, see, that's, that works. That's more realistic. You're having, yeah. you know, units break and you're more likely to lose in chain of command from your force morale going than yeah. from stuff being killed. You could, like, you could potentially have your force morale drop completely without anybody actually being killed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's, it looks like you've got to rewatch Band of Brothers, mate. It's it's just yeah. it's guaranteed. You know, you're playing yeah. America. You just got yeah, to do it, it. Is it on Netflix or is it on um on on Prime at the moment? I don't know. Um, I'll have to I'll have to dig but that one thing. Out. One thing that Peter just said uh, said there is a really good example of how you've got to change your attitude from Ancients to World mm. War Two. Because like being an Ancients game, where we talk about oh, if you lose your morale, people run away. Well, no, in World War II, if you lose your morale, they just don't move. They just hide behind a tree and dig a hole and they're not going anywhere. So it's like even the concept of breaking um, is a different thing in World War, or at least it should be a different thing in World War II. It's like people don't run away. They just don't move. Depends. Either, yeah. either situa- situations where where troops, I did, did run away during, from combat. Yeah, I, I managed to get one of those against Jeff. <laughs> When my troops ran away, but not often. Yeah, battle of the bulls, they ran off. Either coming under fire, and you get I because yeah, I chain of command. You have the shock mechanism, so every time you, every time somebody get fire shoots, I so many hits, and then you to see what the effect is, which could be a kill, but is more like to be shock on the team, hmm. team or section. And once you get to team or section reaches a certain le- certain amount of shock, it becomes pinned. When it goes, I to Twice, I if you've got twice as many pins, shot yeah. points as you have Man. figures remaining in that in that unit, that's when it breaks. Yeah, so it's it's you know you the kills do. Oh, but when when they're, when they're pinned, but... they actually gain a, a level of cut an additional level of cover. Yeah, would become they become effective. harder to hit. Yeah, no, it, it's it's really clever, and um, you know I, I I I'm looking forward to playing some more and getting these um these twenty mil plastics out that i am um, that i, I kind of never thought i'd ever actually find something to use um with them but and actually i've been using them against 28s as well and they look okay 
they look fine. Um, thing is, I think with those MG34 teams, they've never actually got close enough to the enemy to look. So the scale difference has been um, been noticeable. So no, more more of that to come, I think, in um, in future weeks. Um, but on that note, oh, I think oh, oh. Small bit to remember, you've got the Amer Americans. Yeah. Use marching fire and also also use covering fire. Yeah, and combat fire. patrols covering as well. Covering fire or suppression fire, I can't remember what it's yeah. called. Yeah, I started doing that in well, um, just the second fire, game. Fire, fire to yeah. across an area. It doesn't do any damage to the enemy, yeah. but it does reduce their, their ability yeah. to hit you. Yeah. Area and, suppression. Doing that and then also combat patrols is um, it's a huge thing. You also played another game on Monday, didn't you, Tim? Yeah, no, we had another game. It was um, in fact, we we need to be careful on this. I'll probably have to do some post post game editing. Um, because this is my army for Bournemouth, and I, I don't want to give away too many secrets. So, um, so Peter, we could probably talk through that. So, so I was using my Satyak Egyptians, um, which is an army with lots of um, in it, and then quite a lot of um, in it, and then some in it as well. And um, and it's kind of an interesting combination. It it, it deploys quite interestingly. And, um, you know, and the kind of terrain I was looking for was, um, so I did manage to get down on, on one flank and then two really small bits of terrain. And, and you were using your, your mad Chinese as well, weren't you? Yeah. My mad Chinese with the, uh, the bulletproof light cavalry. So, yeah. you know, it's like, um, you know, going through and, uh, trying out the cataphracts and how the, uh, spearmen sort of performed against them. Yeah. And then all, then all your, um, medium swordsman mixed with bow who managed to stand up um against my remarkably well and just um, to like dodge round to a, a little sort of like shimmy off to the right and then stomp through your yeah yeah with, with my my dreadful command pips but i think the highlight was definitely on the right flank when my unit of um attempted to um you know to attack your two light horse repeatedly from from turn one every single time and um and i think you managed to rally them I think it's seven, times? Ti seven yeah. times, yeah. Seven, seven two times. units, you managed to rally them seven times during the course of the game. That and it was many. only the last turn by the time I actually managed to kill one, which was which was delightful. Uh, and, that um, was you know, made you feel particularly good about it, about that whole line. Did, yeah, held it, it up made me that. feel that um, you know, uh, I think as as was the case, Andy, the game I played against you with those um those damned um, two people. Sea people yeah. um, gave me some tremendously good dice in my first game at York. So hopefully, <laughs> um, I've I've teed up some tremendously good dice for one of my games. It um, note to self: don't play Tim well. first. Don't play Tim at yeah, um, yeah. Watch out Bournemouth for that. First time I think they normally try to keep uh, club members apart from each other, don't they? So no, you, you may well, be safe I on that. And I think for, uh, myself, I've decided not to take the Sibian. Well, okay, no, that's possibly not the option. But I think for um, Bournemouth, once we get Adam, once we get the um, the lists done, we might do a, a special sort of half hour one off um, prediction podcast because that seemed to be quite popular last time. So we might try and squeeze one of those in at some point. Um, yeah, I'm so doing the review of them right now to break our hiatus uh, as list checking. So that'll be good. So find out what Michael thinks of the list then. 
yes see what Micah thinks or whoever's the commentator who's popular in a couple of weeks time so um, possibly it's the Olympics by then isn't it but yeah it'll be Olympics commentator and it'll be uh, the East German judge it will be something like that Nolpois for um, Wyomene and from on that note I think that's probably done gaming to death and um, we can move on to the next feature so that's um adam you want to rant do you about um longbows i can give you a rant about longbows i reckon okay well well look we've um we've got a competition coming up in bournemouth which luckily is yet another classical competition that allows us to get all these classical troop types out which which means that the i guess the growing world of whinge um about longbows as as i sit here <laughs> some in front of me that i'm repainting and rebasing um it, it's kind of almost a a murmuring tidal wave of wind isn't there so you can hear it way off in the in the distance like um like summer rain or a, a, a summer thunderstorm on the horizon that's coming in and adam i think you're you're hoping to to anticipate the wave of wind i suspect with um with your your proposal about longbowman that heralds another episode of i'm sorry i think you're an ass coming up next on madaxman radio it's i'm sorry i think you're an ass the antidote to informed discussion shows at the piano this week is scott joplin and your chairman is sir humphrey humphreys Hello and welcome everybody to this week's edition of I'm Sorry, I Think You're an Arse. You join us this week from the Cerberus Amphitheatre in Nether Wallop in rural Hampshire, which is a real kick in the pants for those of you who prefer big city locations. Nestled gently in the rolling hills of southern England, visitors to the town can climb to the top of a nearby TV broadcasting mast, where they're greeted with a view covering seven different counties. On a clear day, it is sometimes even possible to catch sight of Portsmouth, off in the distance, despite the many prominent warning signs advising against this. Adam, Adam, what, you know, the classic English weapon, we're in, we're in a world of where being English is, is now being celebrated, um, even though we lost, and, um, but, but, and longbows. Well, tell, I'll, us I'll, tell us about it. I'll try not to murmur. Um, and, the thing is, this is—I'm not sure this is actually a whinge about longbows per se. This is a whinge about war gamers and what they concentrate on and what they find important. Now, with longbows, longbows are a good example of this, and that is mixed up with English nationalism going back to Victoria times, where longbow was a victorious weapon and sort of like we beat French and stuff. But um, this is a really good example of war gamers concentrating on kit. To the exclusion of other things because this is how the classic war game story goes and this is what you see in uh, war games rules longbows super deadly weapon used by well-trained troops um and they were just massively excellent and defeated mainly the french but other people as well for a period of about 100 150 years um, and the english armies won the battles in the hundred years war because the longbow was so dominant that's fair is that a fair summary of what the general belief about longbows is until the end of the hundred years war when they when the longbowmen got stomped 
exactly like that. But for about 100 years, it was the longbow that did it. Right, the longbow victories, the battles of the longbow victories. Um, I'm going to describe them. The first one, and probably the greatest English victory in the 100 years war, what you had was you had a well-trained, um, well-commanded army fighting an enemy army where it was massively outnumbered. But this well-trained, well-commanded army was um, in a defensive position uphill where the flanks couldn't be turned behind some um, temporary fortifications and behind some obstacles. It was attacked piecemeal by the enemy army um, over the course of several hours as different parts of the enemy army turned back. So even though it was really outnumbered, it just got attacked piecemeal. At one point, one part of the enemy army attacked another part of the enemy army before going to, on to attack the British army. You don't need longbows to explain why the English won at Cressy. You just, it's, it's just not needed. You, the English army won at Cressy, and if they weren't armed with longbows, they would have still won. Um, Agincourt, you've got a sort of... Sorry, so you're, you're saying Cressy could have been a story of blunt spoons if, if um, you know, the cavalry um, had been different at the time? Well, maybe not blunt. They needed, they would have probably needed to be sharpened spoons. But when you've got a well-commanded, well-trained army in an excellent defensive position being attacked piecemeal by a feudal army that at one point has a fight with itself, you don't need a wonder weapon to explain why um, the uh, well-trained defensive army won. And the same as Agincourt. It's like you've got an army where the longbows are on the flanks and the French start off by a small amount of knights charging at them. They actually charge through the longbow hell and they get stopped by the stakes and then they run off. And then the main part of the French army attacks in really tightly packed columns, not along the whole front, but really tightly packed columns in a really slippery field against particular parts of the English army. They get held... And then because they get held, they're too tightly packed together and they all fall over on top of each other. Again, it's like with such poor tactics, you don't need a wonder weapon to explain why the English won that battle. Okay, And what you've got is what you've got later on when other armies start losing longbows and they're well-trained longbowmen who can use longbows excellently, like the Burgundians and the French as well, um, towards the end of the Hundred Years' War in the second half of the 15th century. They're not wonder weapons, okay? What you've got is you've got an English army that had well-trained troops, um, that was well-organised, that chose when and where to fight, defeating a feudal host. And when that feudal host became professionalised, what we now call the Ordnance French, French, when it became professionalised, when it became a professional army as well, then all of a sudden it wasn't losing all the time. But what war gamers do is they look at the obvious, they go, ah, well, it's, it's longbows, isn't it? Well, no, it's there's a, warfare is a lot more complicated than that. It's sort of like it's about command and control. It's about morale. It's about effective command, effective planning, which for the large part of the 100 Years War, the English had, and to be frank, for a large part of the 100 Years War, the French didn't. And when the French did have, even in the first half of the 100 Years War, when Bertrand de Gusclin was in command of the French forces, he actually sort of like recaptured most of France from the English. Longbows didn't stop him doing that. So the longbows aren't a wonder weapon. There are other factors in play. But because we always concentrate on what happens on the battlefield, um, we look at it and we go, oh, wow, it's a wonder weapon, isn't it? Rather than most warfare isn't on battlefields. Um, so we don't look at the important stuff because um, 
And even when you look at wargamey stuff, because um, I keep looking at, I keep thinking, I've got to do an Indian army. I want army with elephants. And how many people here used to play sixth? Anyone play sixth? Yep, I'm here. Yep. Do you remember? Do you remember the Indian army in sixth when you had medium infantry, a regular C, armed with longbows, and two hundred and two hundred cut weapons? I, I had a, I had a hundred of them. Yeah. Glamming figures. I yeah. mean, that's all in line. I look at ADLD now, and I look at the list and go, well, if they had two handy cutting weapons and longbows, longbows, they would, <laughs> they would be quite good. Yeah. Um, so again, this sort of like whole thing about weapons, it's like people go on. They they still have um, some shit medium cavalry though, wouldn't they? Well, that's been that's been part of it for all regular time. Regular medium cavalry at the back, um, yeah. but it's and it's mixed and it is mixed up with English national nationalism um, quite deliberately in Victorian times when English history was being invented. And this myth is just carried on through and carried on through. And it might be that they are effective troops, so kind of make them effective. But just to take this one unit, one sort of style of bow troops and go, oh, they're far better than everybody else, when they probably kind of weren't. Um, and you've even got French rules that are falling for it. So, um, yeah, longbows, um, overplayed, um, not that important. They don't need all these special rules, I don't think. I think there are other reasons why they were so effective. I think it's more to do with their professionalism, isn't it? That they were trained and trained and trained. And yeah, professional troops. At Cressy, they're, they're, it's a mercenary, it's a professional mercenary army being uh, chased across northern France until they sort of decide to put up a fight. And then, as you say, the French are just a bunch of idiots. Until they find a good defensive position and go, go on then, we'll have you. And then, well, you got to look at the fact that it's night. So actually, the leader is blind and charges in for no apparent reason with them all tied together. How does that go? Well, I read a book recently which suggested that the way the French won the Hundred Years' War was they developed artillery and a strategy of trying to capture towns. And that then meant that if the English wanted to stop them, they had to attack. And that didn't work well with their, um, you know, type of army. Well, so, what you got to remember with the longbows is it fires further and hits harder than a crossbow over a decent distance. Uh, so you can reload and fire a longbow. No, I've a range, range and power. The I, crossbow falls off cross, after a certain crossbow, distance. Crossbow, crossbows and longbows had roughly equivalent power. No, nah, not over. Oh, a, I think I think you're missing the key off. point, though, isn't it? The, um, the longbow was an English rate, weapon. It was right to shoot. invented by English people, and the crossbow was invented by dastardly foreigners. So, and, and it was a technology. So, but the the other one involved English yeomanry being strong and having very large right arms or left yeah, arms. Yeah, you, you've got to face facts two. that the longbows were the mortars of that period. And we know the mortars are good, so, you know, got to face facts. It was, it was like mobile artillery. Having a muddy field. Tell me a mounted charge that was stopped by longbows. Yeah, I mean... Well, there's plenty in the games I've played with longbows, for sure. Yeah. 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 In history, tell me a mounted charge. Are, are you just upset that your mounted charge keeps being stopped by longbows? Is that it? Yeah. No, no, no. I've done. You keep being stopped by longbows. Um, but tell me again, it's a fair question. Tell me a mounted charge in history that got stopped by longbow fire. I'm, I'm sure it would have been if the French had been competent enough to actually put a mounted charge together, just because that sort of innate Englishness would have, um, you know, maybe they, they, they just would have been a bit scared and, and bottled it. 
because the, they knew the longbow had really good factors. So they yeah, they're too scared to, to actually charge. Them. They're too scared to actually charge. It, it worked by by um, deterrent almost. I yeah, it's a moral victory. Agincourt, yeah. there was a there was a French mounted charge which which was wasn't stopped by the longbows. It was effectively stopped by the stakes. There you go. had. Mm. Yeah. But I also think in the Hundred Years' War, the English longbowmen ended up leaving their own press and thinking they were really good. <laughs> so by the end, they were getting a bit carried away with it because I think there's, there's a, who's the Duke who runs the English army at the end of the war? Somerset? Yeah, I think that there's a big battle at the end of the Hundred Years' War where they get completely mown down by the French knights who've worked out how to deal with them. And the English are actually believing their own press, think they're really damn hot and stand there and get run over. Is, is that not an example of, you know, the actual genuine way ahead of its time brilliance of longbows? Because so many wars now are fought in the media and, and in the court of public opinion. And actually what we're saying is the longbows are a brilliant weapon because the English bowmen who are using it were the very first troops to work out cool stuff about PR. Um, and writing it back home in the newspaper so so that's part of the way the factor works out it's just they've got their own pr team who do very very effective pr in, in and people used to get extra holidays to train for longbows yeah i think so you, i don't reality, know what you're complaining about the reality of medieval warfare is damn got lucky it was a really muddy field slaughtered the french twice believed your own pr and uh then came a cropper and without longbow, you wouldn't have Robin Hood, which is an excuse to, for men to run around in tights. So, you know, you're missing Absolutely. the whole thing there, Adam. Back in the time before the English had longbows, Robin Hood had a longbow. No, he didn't. Oh, I think he did. I've seen the film. And, yeah. Yeah. and Morgan Freeman was his I've friend. I've seen he had a longbow as well. It's yeah, not. Yeah. He had a longbow. Well, that's just yeah. normal, though. Oh, no, did he have a recurved one, perhaps? Kevin Costner's got a longbow. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Actually, to be honest, yeah, that that song is possibly a good reason um, not to to lord the longbow, really, isn't it? But that did last a very long time. Um, everything I do. Marion with the old age longbow. That could have been it. Okay. Anybody else got any other longbow-based opinions then? Because you know, is this still the great weapon, or um, it was still the great weapon? Or are you just saying it's like meh, really? You know, when they were using it on ships, which tells you that it was a damn sight better than crossbows. And it well, was like the harpoon missile, they were using it to sink ships. Exactly, you know, all those all those longbows found on the Mary Rose are pretty impressive, I think. That's true. Yeah, they still lasted because it, it, it was only the that's the only reason that made the Mary Rose be um, worth worth disinterring because otherwise it's just a load of wet sticks, isn't it? But they I were mean, able to drag up how, some longbows. How many, how many weapons, reality that? You practice so much that your whole skeleton gets distorted. But that's an argument against them, mate. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's early bodybuilding. What's the problem? Yeah, it, it requires you to be hideously disformed in order to actually use it effectively. <laughs> that's not really... Yeah, I think that's probably not a great design. There was a, there was a bit of an English thing with secret weapons. They did it with the Armada, didn't they? When they the British art, the English... I fell into the Adam thing of going British there. Apologies to the Scots and the Irish. The no, they, they they just they're just English surfs. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, 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 during the Armada, the English cannons and the artillery were 
incredibly better than the Spanish, and they managed to keep all that really secret. So then, so then they weren't doing the PR thing then at that time. I yeah, thought they just burnt them with fire ships. I'm not sure if it was very much better. It's the crews were certainly better drilled. Uh, apparently, the French during the Armada, that our guns were physically built better. Our gunnery was better and we could shoot at much longer distance and the Spanish had, had no clue what they were coming up against. Right. Well, it was also, I, the different, there was also, I, which stamped down the crew and possibly sort of sign of, of the emplacements on the ships. Yeah. The reload, I, reloading time for the British was a couple of minutes. Reloading for the Spanish, about an hour. Yeah. Well, then, then again, that's the English carrying on that longbow um, tradition of being better than crossbows and moving that that into um, naval warfare. So that's the same thing. Well, the, okay. the, cross, the crossbow was actually banned in England by the Normans. Yeah, that's how. Well, it wasn't it banned by the Pope at one point? It was. Yes. Because it was a peasant. It was a peasant. It was an assassin's weapon. Well, no. it was a peasant's weapon for hunting in Brit in England. And also, it was a it was a peasant weapon that could kill gendarmes and the, and the nobility. Exactly. And one of them, like the high lords, be shot at by some serf. Yeah, okay. two point a two point crossbow and knocking off a fifteen point knight. There yeah, you go. I love that six one. There you go. You, you got to ban that for the uh, yeah. Places uh, the apart, apart from when Tim's using them. Yeah, exactly. I, 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 I'm. I'm literally I'm painting and basing up some as we speak. So I think they do need um do need something to be a wonder weapon because you know that if anything that can help me win without actually requiring any ability, I think is is something to be lauded and grasped at um in, in equal measure. But but I think we're kind of as we got onto the Spanish Armada, I think that's possibly a sign that we've managed to diverge from the topic of longbowmen. Um so Adam, um in summary, you know, what bring us back to your core basic proposition. Of... My core basic proposition is this. English archers were effective in the Hundred Years' War, um, and English armies were effective in the Hundred Years' War, but not because longbows. Longbows were a decent weapon, but the English had a good run of victories for other reasons than longbow. And that's distorted how war go medieval war games rules are written to um, writing longbows as a super weapon. Okay, then. That's, that's nice and pithy, nice and clear. Let's... Um... Let's go around, go around the table. We'll start top left with Simon, um, Mr. Mr. Renaissance Medieval. This is kind of the, the skirting the edges of your specialist subject. Um, what do you think? Do you think do you think Adam does have a point, and the longbow should just be mm, it's a bow with good command and control, or is it? No, it is something different. And do you have an opinion about his resemblance to buttocks? Um, I agree with him. I think the longbow, yes, was scary. It was powerful, but the costs to train up very effective units to use it properly was so high. You probably only have one or two units of very skilled bowmen versus a whole bunch of normal bowmen guys or crossbowmen guys who are probably as about, about as effective as a longbow unit. So, if you, you, had, the right, if you had the right formation, you had the, the right terrain, and your flanks were protected, yes, bowmen unit or longbow unit are going to be very effective. Probably most other times they were good, but probably not that significantly different compared to any other bow year. So I agree with it, uh, Adam. 
Okay. All right. Next round round. Peter, what, what about you and your luxurious hair? Where are you I've at? seen Robin Hood men in tights. The longbow, they're still there. They're still effective. You can't put it down. Now, nah, it's just it's just got the too much of a marquee uh, for it. You know, you're, you're wrong, Adam. You <coughs> okay, then, Mr. Saunders, in, in your in your your cloud of um, whatever. I think arse, definite arse. <laughs> I think the longbow was the weapon which destroyed uh, mounted knights and therefore has its place in history. Okay. Um, Tamsin, what about you? Where are you on the longbow? Is it a magic weapon or was it just well-managed, well-used? Well a magic weapon. It's, it's better than the standard bows that were being used earlier. I had better range and better, and better armour penetration. Uh, is it a super weapon as Wargames rules make it? Mm, probably not that... Probably not that. Okay, uh, so we're, we're, we're two and two then. then when two two. I, how do you do, how do you change factors for rules? Yeah, it's more difficult. So I'm going to go on the arse about it, but. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Oh, I, I thought we were, I thought you were going there with um with the other way. So we're, we're three and one. Um, Andy, what, what about you? Uh, I, I don't agree with Adam's thesis because. Why would English armies have so many longbowmen if they didn't work? And it did. That's what they had. <laughs> well, they also had men at arms and people like that. And, you know, there was no other, there was nothing previously which had, you know, uh, caused the end of mounted knights charging to the same extent as yes, the fact that the enemy's got a load of longbows. Yeah, there is. Swiss. Swiss troops with what now called pole arms and deep for in kills and deep formations, they made mounted knights stop charging and get off their horses. Not well, that because was, that was kind arms, of the same era, slightly later maybe, but not because earlier. Super weapon. It's because they stood, they could stand their ground, and they knew that if they didn't run, they could take on the knights. So they didn't have longbows, and they were just as effective against mounted bikes as knights longbow longbow arm troops. I wouldn't argue with. I wouldn't argue against that. But the point is, the Swiss and their pike kills and the no, you know, no, the no. They made the knights get off their horses before pikes. They got no, the. No, that was later. Hold on. That's later. The Swiss are later than the English. Longbow. I think we're getting into another session, aren't we? About are oh, the Swiss are really cool as well. But go, go back to longbow. So Andy, the, where, where, the English, where are you at? The English on? never fought the Swiss. But that's why we play war games because we just. Yes, we did. We beat them a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's why nearest, we play war games. Army, yeah. No, I think Adam's an arse. Nearest army that you get, to the ink, nearest com combat warfare you get, uh, either to English, English army against Swiss army would be Burgundian versus Swiss. And that was later. So it was when Swiss was adopted Pike. That didn't end well, did it, for the Burgundians? No. Um, all right. Okay, so does that... I'm just running around. So we're currently at, um, at four and one. So I think, um, Adam, I, I think I'm I'm actually with you on this. I think, um, you know, the it, it is all about organisation tactics and, and a myth. Um, and actually, I think there's another thing. I think it's just a very, very cynical ploy developed by um by both first initially by english rules writers back in the days of of whenever um that that didn't research it properly 
And then it's been you know, delightfully cynically adopted by foreign rural worlds writers around the world because they've realised that England is just such a bloody big market um, mm. for this stuff. And the same thing happens with Flames of War, where you get British artillery stonk in the Second World War. And there's every, you know, that's from New Zealand. There's all sorts of things where people pander to the British wargamer um, to, to flatter the British and do it and flog them things. So I just think it's modern day commercialism, really. It's, um, it's, it's the rise of capitalism. That's the fault of it. Otherwise, they could just be bows with like superior or some other sort of factor. And Although I do miss the Indian troops with longbows and two-handed. Oh cannon. god, those those hundred guys that I used to have, I think they were they were heavy infantry actually at one point. Oh no, oh, medium yeah. infantry could be close formation. Sorry, yeah. I'm getting ADLG and sixth mixed up, aren't I? So they were medium infantry, unarmored, close formation, two units of fifty, um, which <laughs> gave you a really good. Um, Hit point hit count wasn't it? It was almost impossible to do one casualty per figure on them because there were so bloody many of the bastards. I've and um, got some of the mini figs, um, 20, 1970s 25 millimeter Indian. That would be the one. And in fact, in what was it? Was it in sixth? Sixth, they I think sixth, the Indian longbow had their apogee because there was a pre game thing and that you could challenge the enemy general to personal oh, combat. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Indians was on an elephant. So that was always going to give you an advantage. <laughs> so then the opposition general could counter challenge and say, we'll fight on foot. And then it was how the figure was depicted. So my Indian general was in his howdah with a longbow and a two-handed cutting weapon. And, uh, <laughs> so he'd get a longbow shot in and then go in somewhere telling. So no one ever accepted the challenge. And, um, and that always gave you an advantage at the start of every battle. So the Indians had the super troop as well. So um, some somebody, maybe Phil Barker, liked a curry or something. And um, I think on that note, it's probably time for the music to come in. Well, as the flank march of time continues to struggle to find the tabletop of destiny, that's all we've got time for on this week's episode of I'm Sorry, I Think You're an Ass. We'll be back next week. the dulcet dulcet sounds of i'm sorry i think you're an ass fade into the background we then have the equally dulcet tones of the what was topical three weeks ago quiz as i think it's now rapidly becoming known andy's it used to be topical in the past military history quiz What was going on in the world three weeks ago? The, the news cycle is, is daily now. I was, yeah, well, the, 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 well, the questions were about York, if you remember. About uh, York, okay, right. Right, so question one was, on the 8th of October 1918, how many German prisoners were taken by Sergeant Alvin York of the US 82nd Division? 101. It was over 100. It, uh, I think it, was, it was more than 101. And was a 120. He wasn't a sergeant when he, he wasn't a sergeant on at that point. He was promoted to sergeant as a result. Geek was, points, geek points, ding 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 ding. Yeah. Um, well, the answer is 132, and he also killed 25 Germans. That was a couple off. Yeah, and captured 30 odd machine guns. Something like that. So, yeah, some huge number. Yeah. They captured a whole. Yeah. So basically, he captured four officers, and they sort of brought their company with because they had enough. Um, and ironically, he actually didn't want to serve in the army because his church didn't believe 
in Thou Shalt Not Kill. So in this battle, he killed 25 people. So uh, he kind of got over his religious conscientious objection um, vibe. Yep, sounds good. Right. Next question was, what was the name of the sister ship of the British World War II cruiser HMS York, which featured in a famous movie about a naval battle, and which was sunk by the Japanese in March 1942? Yes. It wasn't the Tirpitz, was it? No. No, um, HMS York sister ship wasn't the Tirpitz. Oh, okay, fine. Okay, um, naval warfare is not my big, big yeah. point. I mean, it was a boat and it had guns on it, but that's exactly. like the only thing they're all great, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. HMS Exeter. Correct. Okay. Yeah, and the movie was the Battle of the River Plate. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. I'm getting messed up with Sink the Bismarck. Was that the Tirpitz? Uh, Horst, wasn't it? Scharnhorst, Okay. Which? No, the Spey. The only one you haven't have mentioned is the Nice now, and that was sunk by bombers. Right. Number three, who, a strategist in Art de la Guerre rules, jointly with his brother, led the winning army at the Battle of York in the year 866? Uh, it's got... Oh, it's... I'm not sure which which ones. Oh, yeah. Are they all called Harold by then? Either, either Boneless or Upper. Ivor the Boneless. Yeah. <laughs> Clive the Boneless. Ivor the Boneless. Ivor the Boneless. Right, no, I don't believe that's Over the real one. I'll have to look that one up. Okay. That's Viking. Yeah, he's in the Vikings, isn't he? I think it's about list 156 or something. That's somewhere around. Fine. There. Well, on 156, let's call in, um, that's that's nearly 248. Let's call in the music. French techno fades into the um, the one five six background, Andy. So we're going to do um, with, with this week's question. So that by the time this comes out, this might even be topical. And then after the credits roll, we're going to roll in with the answers as well. So um, rather than keep people waiting until the end of the summer, so so tell us what what you've decided is topical this week. Well, it was going to be it's coming home, but of course, it didn't come home. So I've. Um, resorted back to the English footballers' uh, comfort blanket, two World Wars and one World Cup. Okay. So the first question is, Walter Tull was one of the first black British army officers. Before he was killed in action in March 1918, he'd signed for a Scottish football club, which does, until recently, had a record for being a bit bigoted. Which team was that? <laughs> Okay, all right. right. Next question. Second one, Bert Troutman, the goalkeeper who famously broke his neck playing for Manchester City in the FA Cup final, had been a Luftwaffe paratrooper in World War II. Before being captured by the British Army in 1945, how many times had he been previously captured and escaped? He did tangled up in the net, I imagine, or something like that, yep. <laughs> and question three, a World Cup qualifying tie in 1969 was a catalyst for what became known as the football war between two countries. Which countries were they? Okay, I, th I think I've got a 10 mil army for that. Um, it's on sale on eBay as we speak. So, okay then, well, let's, let's, let's roll the music and um, thankfully we won't have too long to wait for the answers. Maladie 
then so so folks we're running into the um the tail end of this this is like normally this is what you're going to do next week but this is going to be what might you do over the next couple of months um possibly um so let's have a quick run round and um, dave you know over the next couple of months of summer i imagine there's 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 gaming to be fitted in there's a few competitions that you've got lined up um maybe some painting um bournemouth bournemouth time um as many competitions as possible. I think there was some discussion of Lille. Maybe. Yeah, going abroad still feels quite hairy, doesn't it? Even in September. I, I, I fear we may be back in lockdown before we know it. But yeah, uh, yeah. So it's. Uh, I mean, it, we've had two classical competitions. Well, when Bournemouth happens, I mean, it, it's going to be nice to get to some other competitions. I really want to get some my medieval army out, which I've just painted during lockdown. That'd be really nice. Are you uh, playing in the London GT? Yeah, GT is going to look forward to that. Definitely doing that. Hopefully, Iñaki and the Spanish guys are going to be able to come over. That's going to be really exciting. It'd be good to see. I know Iñaki is desperate to fucking play in competition. Yeah. Really. No, I think there's loads of people desperate for international wargaming, for sure. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, is there anything in the, the summer painting pile? Uh, I, I I fear I, I'm I'm really pleased that the Legio Heroica guys are going to keep. Uh, I can't remember his name is it Giorgio? Yeah, his um, nephew, I think it is, or son, is yeah. continuing the company. That that'd be a terrible loss to lose their figures. Mm. So I think I'm going to put an order in with them for at least some figures to bulk out my late Romans with the new troops I'm missing. Things like that. Um, I'm. I'm I'm going to give up on Kurisan's Assyrians. Yep, they're never coming. They're going to get it together. They're the very, very, very late Assyrians, aren't they? Yeah. There's always something are. else coming in. So I think I'll give up on that and do something different. For the, I, I need a biblical army. Yeah, find another one. Okay. All right, Adam, um, you, you were saying you were hoping that there's a, a hiatus for, for children's sport at some point over the summer, and then you're obviously organising Bournemouth. What what else is on your agenda um, coming up? Well, Hoping to get a few games in, um, that would be good. Also, I kind of realised that um, November for Warfare, as long as we're not in lockdown again, I entered the 25 mil and it's sort of like, that's medieval-y. And I was thinking, oh, I've got plenty of time to paint these medi this French Ordnance Army that I'm going to... But the weeks and the months are actually cracking on through surprisingly quickly. So I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to concentrate on getting um, the French Ordnance arm, Army painted so I can use it later on in the year. Okay. All right. Um, Mr Finkel, what about you? You're, I think you're painting as we speak. You're just a, yeah, just, a slow-speed painting machine. Are you... Will you still like that, be yeah. playing Dave Ray and um, painting something when we return yeah. in September? Uh, probably, probably, yes. Um, the um, I'll hopefully be limbering up for the London GT, um, uh, that competition. Um, I want to finish these uh, feudal Welsh spearmen and um, the, the stuff I've got undercoated at the moment, which is the uh, Ottomans uh, for the Renaissance and the cruel seas stuff and to, you know, finish tidying up those Persians. So, that, you know, between that, that will keep me entertained. Uh, I'm not sure I'm going to get it all done because at the moment I've not got a sort of massive painting mojo, you know, it's, it's bits here and there. So um, that'll probably keep me going for a couple of months, I should think. Just I'll probably still be doing these things when we next compare notes. Okay. Um, Tamsin, um, 
you know, trees, buildings. Terrain, terrain, terrain. Terrain, terrain, terrain. By, you know, if we said by September. Recipe book? I, by September, I should have got around. I, I hope I'm still not zoning terrain by September, jungle terrain by September. <laughs> yeah. Uh, We're going to be looking yeah. at a lot of things on Zoom, aren't we, that are all tree-shaped? Can yeah. I just ask, is it, is it going to be for a loot or something like that? Huh? Is this going to be for a for a show? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you've, got, you've got to dry brush all those pineapples. It's going to take you a while. I have not done pineapple trees. Hey! hey. That's good then. So you're hoping to, so when, what, to get past the terrain then? What what figures are lined up for the next few months? Um, I think I will, well, I've got additions to my Yi Choson Korean. I, thanks to the list, I, the uh, V4 list. So got the figures for those and just need to get those prepped and painted. Um, probably do, I get, I buy the figures for Japanese bassoon. Someone's hide in the jungle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then, then the next challenge will be finding them again once you've deployed them. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a Fakawi brigade because I get one of them. Where the fuck are we? Oh, he's back. He's back. Uh, he was late to entry, but he's back. Uh, Where the fucking hell are we? Where the fucking hell are we? Um, <laughs> Peter, what, what about you? What's um, what's coming up for you over the summer? Uh, well, I've got um, some Mycenaeans that uh, I got some of that Museum Z range to sort of like uh, have my. Uh, uh, Trojans going ste steaming in. Um, got the Brad Pitt figure painted up. Of course, they're all going to have to be gold. You know, it's be rude not to. Um, the on top of that, I, I've been looking at a few armies, so um, clearing out some of the Spanish uh, feudal Spanish because they're looking at them and look quite tasty. Um, I've got to sort out what I'm going to use in the London GT. So there's, um, I mean, um, you know, having a look at uh, how that sets up and how I'm going to run that one. Um, but the next tournament after that is um, Reading. So I've just got to have a look of what it is and what I want to have a go at that because it's, it's just getting back into the swing of it. So there's various armies I want to try out and have a look at and play various games. But the, the key one that's coming up in just a couple of weeks um, is a big Battle Empire one where we're going to have a, a big game down at the club for a, you know, a whole day. Uh, we'll bring various troops along to try a big battle that uh, two of our club mates are setting up. Oh, La Rothier, isn't it? Yeah. 1914. Yeah, that should be interesting to see if we can actually get up to some speed on playing that game. Yeah. Uh, actually work out how to play it, which would be... Um... They, they, they've already worked out my style. I've got the Austrians. I get to go forwards. Right. And that's it. Just in a line. Okay. Uh, it's, 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 uh, a, lot, a lot of tactical now in that, you know. Yeah. Okay. And then, Simon, what, what about you? What's your next few months um, got ahead? Is it just putting different armies on table and bashing the Renaissance stuff around? Yeah, definitely a lot more, definitely a lot more renaissance because you always need big, um, big pike, pike units to run around, run around the table. Um, looking forward to Bournemouth. So my lockdown one army, the 20 mil Chinese, um, will come out and we'll get to see their full glory of plastic ugliness. So um, that'll be quite good. And I've got the big lead chariots from, um, uh, I can't remember who I bought them from. So they'll, be, they'll, be, they'll look really good. Mm -hmm. Get ready for London GT. Is it new line? Would it be new line? New line, yeah. So yeah, yeah. those are ones that you re recommended. They yeah, are, the good value ones. Yeah. Yeah, and they just look proper and big. I think I'll have yeah. to um, get a, a little trolley to carry them. It's about six chariots. Yeah. Just oh. walk sideways. Yeah, that's pretty solid, isn't it? Yeah. And they will look really good. So looking forward to getting them on the table. Um, 
got the GT, and then also just looking forward to having a few random games of either King of the Battlefield or something that are not competition focused, you know, actually just play games and you know, blow things up and see what happens there. So that'll be good fun. Plus a bucket load of painting um, uh, King of the Battlefield, you know, musket units and more cuirass units because when you've got 20 battle units, you probably need a few more. So you, you might do, have... don't you? Yeah, for that 12, 12 unit game, you've just got to have all those options. It's nice to have every possible option. So, you know, elite, uber elite, these little ones, ones with three tassels, four tassels. Yeah. Very important. Yeah, it just mix it up for sure. Good. Okay. Well, I think from, from my point of view, to kind of round it out, I, I think, yeah, Bournemouth's the, the next biggie, and that will be putting a lot of either refurbished or never seen before troops on table, which would be fantastic. Um, that would be good. I think I've, I've entered a one-day... 25 mil 100 point competition which will be the first for me in um i think the 8th of august up in gloucester it's one that keith mcglynn's organizing so um so i've i've put in an army list for that already 100 point two commands which should be should be fun um get some 25 mil 28 mil figures on table and lots of short games um possibly very short if my army composition is is nonsense um just gets run over which should be it and then playing a bit more um with all the different 15 mil armies that i've got just trying to use different armies down the club that battle empire thing i'm looking forward to put put some of my 10 mil stuff on and see how ridiculous it looks next to other people's 18 mil would be it getting <laughs> they could um, be the reinforcements in the distance they could be the reinforcements in the distance um try my it's a theme here actually my my 20 mil americans for um chain of command see, giving them another few runs out and see if i can get my head around that um I think there's talk of of doing some BKC or Cold War Commander and and other things down the club and getting some some bigger games as well. And then at some point when when things get kind of feel a bit more safe to to start playing some Malifaux again um, as well, just all the different systems. But then that's starting to be system overload, um, I think. And then painting, I suspect it just will be crack on or crack through these these 15 mil Spanish and all of these infantry for, for my medieval armies. And then, and then once they get done, it's a question of which of the next three big projects do I start? But, but that's a whole, a whole different kettle of fish to, to be decided um, near the time. So, so there's quite a lot going to be going on over the summer of different, different games, different systems, a few different competitions and things like that to, to look forward to. And, um, and we may well try and sneak in a few, tactical um podcasts but otherwise we'll be we'll be on a seven person you know mad axman podcast hiatus until until the weather calms down a bit and and we probably get to the back end of august so um, thank you for bearing with us over the many many last weeks um and and listening to us keep ourselves entertained through lockdown um it's been it's been great to be here i think we'll actually have to start calling the next one series two because i think i just rolled this one and, and it was series one and we're up to about episode 88 or something so we probably will be back officially with series two in the autumn and, and watch out for other stuff that drops between now and then but other than that um thank you for listening thank you for subscribing um thank you for downloading keep it clicking uh, enjoy the summer enjoy the gaming hopefully see you across the table so goodbye everybody goodbye bye, bye. Everyone.
Oh, so Andy, we um, in, in this little coda, then um, yeah. we we get to put people out of their misery, which um, well, that's not a comment on your questions in any way, shape, or form. Um, <laughs> out of their um, out of their tender hooks or something like that, uh, we, we right. to take them off their tender hooks. So, so fill us in with the answers on um, Andy's. I can't believe it's still topical. Um, quiz of the week. Right. Okay. Well, the first question was Walter Tull was one of the first black British army officers. Before he was killed in action in March, 1918, he signed for a Scottish club, which had a reputation of being a bit bigoted. Which club did he sign for? Rangers. Correct. Hadn't he already played for Tottenham Hotspur? Yes. And Plymouth North, North End, didn't he? Uh, sorry, Preston North End, didn't he? Uh, I don't think it was Preston. I think he played for Northampton. He might have played, I don't know about Preston. You may be right. Maybe we need to do another spin-off podcast on um, on 1920s um, football in the British Isles. You know, it sounds like there's a lot of expertise around the pod. <laughs> sure. Right. Second question was Bert Troutman, a goalkeeper who famously broke his neck playing for Manchester City in the FA Cup final, had been a Luftwaffe paratrooper in World War II. Before being captured by the British Army in 1945, how many times had he been previously captured and escaped? I'll say five. Any, anyone else? Two? Yeah, the answer is two. Once by the Russians and once by the French. Oh, so he did almost the full suite of Allied powers then? Something did he like just that, missed yeah. up? Did he get captured by the Americans later in the war? No, no, apparently not, no. Oh, right, okay. No. You've got to admire someone, though, that sort of like breaks their neck and goes, no, I'll, I'll, I'll just carry on, don't worry about it. Well, I, I imagine compared to, compared to being captured by the Russians, breaking your neck in a football match is probably not the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Yeah, I must admit that I've I've had paper cuts that have made me stop playing war games. So um, and and go home early. So yeah, I think that is a very good shout. Right, and the third question was about a World Cup qualifying tie in 1969 was the catalyst for what became known as the football war between two countries. Which countries were they? Was it Bolivia and uh, Peru? Was it? Or no, no, it was it was uh, Honduras. Honduras is one of them. Honduras. Paraguay, El Salvador, Ooh, El Salvador, yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, there was tension between those countries anyway, and it wasn't the football match which caused the war, but it was that was basically what what caused it the spark to kick off, and there was a. But I think that, that war games Sabutio crossover is is just a fantastic thing. I think tiny war games mats do Sabutio mats as well now, so <laughs> so it's it's all it's all coming back. There's an opportunity to do that. So, no, I think um, thank you, Andy, for a whole other series of, of eclectic questions and um and yet again andy's quiz will be back in um after the summer hiatus so once again goodbye everybody goodbye goodbye
Wars. Whoa. 